welcome to another episode of Confessions of a Wee Timorous Bushi. This is your host, Menion, also known as Rob. So in this episode, I'm just going to do a bunch of call-ins. Uh, do. I'm going to uh, answer a bunch of call-ins that you know, I was kind enough to receive uh, from Jason, BJ and possibly others. I need to have a look. Um, I'm also going to talk about the you know, past week of uh, gaming that I've had and that will include a little bit of a, a summary of the last Old School Essentials game. Uh, and also, also yeah, the previous session of... Um, a previous session that wasn't Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, but it was in fact RuneQuest, or at least was supposed to be. But it ended up being, well, I think quite a productive um, character generation session instead. But, you know, we'll get on to that. So... Um, yeah, without further ado, let's get going. Hey Rob, Jason here. Enjoy the latest episode. Uh, I, I was just kidding with you about Swords and Wizardry and the four saving th- throws that we're missing, by the way. Sorry about that. Sometimes my dry sense of humor doesn't come across. As far as your recaps, very cool. Yeah, I hope you guys get back to AD&D soon. It's a neat system. I don't think it's a love it deserves. As far as OSC goes, great. I think that room you guys went in was the room we went in, the one session I played where we fought the giant scorpion as well. So it's great they went back there and did that. I'm curious how much extra XP you gave them for those statues. I, I don't know if you want to say that on the air or maybe reach out to me privately. But just I'm just curious about that. But yeah, great, great stuff. As far as starting new PCs at 50% of the previous PCs' experience points if they died, I think that's fine. I mean, realistic, especially with the slow game that you guys are doing. Um, so I, which arguably you're not doing that slow because you're only playing two-hour sessions. So, but you know, considering the the slower than normal, you, you know, gain as far as sessions go. I, I think our, if you looked at your game in hours, you're probably progressing normally. But if you look at number of sessions, it seems slow. But anyway, point being, I think 50% is perfectly fine. I think in a normal game where you're playing like six-hour sessions, then you could just start them at zero because they would easily, they would gain lower-level characters, of course, level up a lot faster than higher-level characters. But considering you're all about second level, it makes sense to do 50%. Thank you, Jason. Yeah, your sense of humor is fine. Um, you know, sometimes a little bit, I'm a little bit slow on the uptake, but uh, yeah, it's very much appreciated. I know there's no need to apologize. I know you're always um, very much sort of coming from a good place. Your comments come, for, come from a good place. And, uh, you know, you. I think we share an appreciation of uh, similar gameplay, game styles and uh, systems. Not, not always the same, but uh, I think we can appreciate each other's... Uh, preferences so uh, yeah no need to uh, to worry about that as for AD&D Advanced Dungeons and Dragons the uh, first edition game that I've been running uh, you know more or less off and on on and off on and off and on for well coming up for three years it'll be in spring in um, yeah in April I believe it'll be three years so we actually finished um, A1 the Slave Lords um, first Slave Lords module and I think I've already discussed that in one of the one of the um, reports that I did so that'll be on hiatus for a little while 
And um, instead, we actually, uh, well, we were talking about, you know, until quite late uh, or just before the time that we were going to meet, about a week before, we were actually collecting ideas for the next uh, mini campaign or, you know, short adventures. And, you know, the idea was floated around that perhaps we'd switch GMs for a while. Um, but nobody was able to actually commit to running a game at a time or they didn't have the materials they needed. So, um, well, you know, I had RuneQuest on on the boil and I suggested that and everybody uh, kindly um, voted voted to try it out. So uh, I was really, really excited with that. Um, up until very recently, I've been I've been experimenting with the idea getting ready just in case that might happen um but i was also very aware that trying a a brand new system and not only a new system but one that's quite complicated in ways and in which the setting um forgive my use of the term but requires some buy-in you know um in that in that you need to god invest time into in in that setting into that game in order to really appreciate what's going on you know to understand all those names and all those places and events and um without feeling too overwhelmed but yeah i was really happy with that and um so we were supposed to supposed to have a session but unfortunately it didn't go um ahead and it may be delayed. Unfortunately, I was hoping to maybe get, you know, um, after character generation, maybe one session in, two sessions. But it looks like it's going to be put off until, until who knows, January, February, um, due to some kind of personal uh, obligations on the side of uh, the players. And, and so, yeah, it may be the case that we do actually go back to Advanced Dungeons and Dragons anyway. Um, as a and just have three players and me the GM run something that's continue on from that story, you know, little sort of side quests or uh, what have you. Um, but uh, as you're saying, yeah, the um, old school essentials um, that you, that I was referring to before that room of the statues was, as you as you suspected, was the same barrow in which your character died. And one of the bodies that they res- retrieved from there was your character. So he has now finally been buried. I don't know how many months after you played, probably six, was that six, seven months now? <laughs> so they finally got back in there and um, overcame that challenge, you know, very much by, by thinking... Um, outside of the box sort of moving around the problem rather than going head on head on and trying to kill them um, as for um the uh the extra experience i've been awarding for that kind of encounter very dangerous encounters well um it's suggested in bx and this is an idea or suggestion that's carried on in old school essentials that in the event of uh in the case of uh, very dangerous uh monsters or chat challenges challenging monsters and the face that they over you know that would normally kill them but they somehow managed to overcome them through what by whatever means that you award xp equivalent to one hit die higher than that hit die value so 
what I do is I keep the special abilities, you know, the, the specials, um, and add that on. Um, well, no, what do you do? Yeah, I guess you recalculate it. So you slide slide down one hit die. So a five hit die creature, for example, becomes six hit die, and then look over to the special XP bonuses for special abilities and add those on to the final score for each creature. Um, it's not a huge amount. It's it's in the you know when you're up like five hit dice or something then you know you're talking about maybe another 150 or xp for each of those monsters which is you know fairly sizable for for basic dnd it's it's uh nothing <laughs> you know in second edition or something like that but uh yes yeah, so that's what i've been doing um i don't plan to really sort of abuse that too much i think uh, most of the time, if it's within a few hit dice, if the monster's within a few hit dice of the player's uh, levels, I'm just going to ignore it. But if, in some cases where they have multiple attacks and have very high hit dice, lower armor class, I'll make those little adjustments, um, case by case, I suppose. And that's why, you know, we have this, um, this uh, the importance of rulings, right? Uh, so that we can actually off the cuff we can make a decision like that uh, or go back later and say well you know actually I think you deserve a little bit more for that um, and the players really appreciate that um, I don't think it's pandering to them that much I don't think it's sort of like you know really weakening the game or um, causing any sort of imbalance in, in the in the game um, because you know it is a tough game anyway um, I'm not helping them survive any any of these encounters. Um, but if they do survive, and such difficult against such difficult odds, then I think you know they really deserve it. Um, who knows? They're gonna they could die in the next encounter, right, and lose all of that. So um, that's where I suppose the uh, keeping some of the XP, half the XP amount comes in. You know, you're losing a level, maybe two levels, depending on what level you are. But um, you still have this feeling of being carried along with the adventure and you're not dragging along you know as you say um really you know if you if you if we were sitting around the table and we we're doing six hour sessions um and everybody's about third f level fourth level and one character dies and they have to start them off at first level isn't a isn't a terrible thing you know because as you say the amount of xp the treasure everything will be so much higher their ability to handle um risk um challenges that are thrown at them will be so much higher so therefore the xp that's coming in may be you know not that much for the third fourth level characters but it will be uh, you know quite the amount you know for three four or five times the amount at least for a first level character you know and that obviously accelerates the the speed in which they gain xp go up levels and so on Anyway, Jason, as always, you know, really, really appreciate your thoughts. Uh, take care. Talk to you soon. Hey, Minion, it's BJ. I'm still playing catch up on your episodes. Just finished your review of the Yellow King. Uh, don't feel bad for not knowing much about the mythos. You, you don't know much more than people who are in the know. It's it's really comes from a like four or five interrelated short stories where people kind of descend into their own forms of madness and there's just these passing allusions to the yellow king and carcosa and you know the author never really gives you much more detail you're left to infer or decide for yourself exactly what's going on so i won't spoil anything else about it but it's a good read um 
And of course, uh, Lovecraft incorporated that in his mythology, but it's he's kind of borrowing it from the the King in Yellow uh, uh, anthology as just something that inspired him. So he has his own version of the Yellow King and Carcosa in his uh, in his mythos, but it's it's not the you're playing with the original stuff, which is really cool. And I don't know if you have uh, access to HBO streaming, but the first season of True Detective with Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson is sort of a contemporary. It draws heavy inspiration from the uh, from the uh, King in Yellow, with with lots of references to to the the, the Yellow King and Carcosa, and then this this kind of maddening, creepy investigation where they they can't figure out. It's like you you're left through most of the story going, is this is this supernatural or is it not? Are we where we're dealing with? <laughs> You know, sinister magical forces, or are these just, you know, just just mundane versions of the evil that men do? I don't know. It's a really good thing if you haven't seen it, and, and if you're able to, it's it's a, it's it's a great. It's probably one of Matthew McConaughey's best performances ever. ABJ, hey, thank you so much for your uh, call. The Yellow King campaign that I'm playing is currently is currently on hold um, due to sort of scheduling issues, you know, between us all. But um, hopefully, we'll be back to it soon. Uh, I don't really. Um, I don't really mind not knowing the the background, the the mythos, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, in this case, or in many cases, actually, now uh, I suppose getting older, I don't really have the the patience um, often to sit down and learn all this material. You know, if I sit down and learn a new game system, it's because it really means something to me. Um, and the same with the canon or mythos or whatever you want to call it, lore. Um, so I'm I'm happy to do that with Glorantha, and it's taken me what <laughs> probably two years or at least now, yeah, almost two years to the day since I got uh, the new RuneQuest rules, um, and gradually make headway. But in many cases such as this, I think I'm happy to just leave it to the to the GM. Um, same with GURPS, the GURPS game that GM Shadow Barry was running you know I don't need to know how GURPS really really works um, if I want to go do something if I want to improve my character or achieve something I'll just say what I want to do and you know um, and rely on the GM I'm happy to rely on the GM to make the necessarily rulings and uh, carry that weight um, certainly if it's a system that they know um, well enough and are willing to do that anyway, but um, uh, let's see now. Uh, yeah, I, so I don't watch a lot of TV. Um, I do appreciate you know um, suggestions, recommendations on TV, and I know a lot of GMs. Uh, I know you're not doing this in the in the current instance, right? But I know a lot of GMs often suggest like watching Firefly. That was one one that I had before, or watching this or that because they're modeling their their game around this kind of feel of a specific movie or you know tv program whatever um but i don't really watch a lot of tv um i find it really difficult just to sit down even something that's very clever um like um oh goodness uh um West Westworld was it or the these things? I mean, some of the programs are really seem to be really well put together, um, many times, uh, but I just 
can't be bothered <laughs> to sit down. Um, it's as much as I can do to sit down and read. Uh, I do try to do a lot more reading. I really force myself to to read, but um, I already have a lot a lot of things that are quite passive in my life. Um, work often feels very passive, uh, oddly, uh, from some people perhaps. But um, uh, and you know, you you do get into this rut of just sitting there and absorbing media. Um, so that's where I guess I like GMing. Um, and also, you know, when I can, leading stuff and running running ideas and because it really forces you to read and read again and concentrate on these things. Anyway, I'm, I'm kind of blabbering a little bit now, but I'll, I'll keep my eyes out for this true detective. Um, I do have, you know, um, streaming service of, of a kind that from a rather disreputable large company. Um, but I don't really use that kind of stuff that much, to be honest. But I'll, I'll give it a, a whirl um, if I if I feel feel in the mood, you know. Probably after a few drinks. Anyway, cheers, BJ. Hi, this is Ray from Plundergrounds. I don't think I've ever called in before, but I am a steady listener. And I wanted to comment on this thought that you put out there about nothing, uh, nothing being new about what we're doing in the hobby today compared to the to the late 70s, mid to late 70s. And I have to say I lean toward that interpretation myself more and more. Um, the more I read histories of and artifacts of play from and role-playing games from, you know, 74, 75, 76, 77, really those are kind of the operative years, maybe up through 80 or 81 at the most, um, I'm just shocked at how much innovation and creativity there was back then. Things like GMless play, uh, you know, hero points, all those kinds of things. You can find almost every mechanical thing that we wrestle with today back then. I've been reading Game Wizards lately, and I just got through reading Elise Elusive Shift a couple months ago. Those are both John Peterson works. I think they are superior to his playing at the world and that playing at the world was very much it, it reads like a dissertation that got put into text and it's it's lengthy and and ponderous and not always focused um i don't find peterson's writing all that gripping usually uh, elusive shift kind of goes all over the place but man there's it's just fascinating um uh, in terms of what he's dug up from you know, zines and AP publications and all, all kinds of stuff that maybe I never knew about before. Uh, Game Wizards is much more readable, uh, but you kind of have to enjoy a, a business story as well as the the juicy tidbits of the feud between Gygax and Arneson and other uh, hobby luminaries. So I don't know if I go as far as to say that there's nothing new under the role-playing game sun, but I would say that if you think uh, something is an innovation, check yourself, right? Go read your history. Um, I, I remember the first time I found out that uh, Soft Cell wasn't the originator of the song Tainted Love, right? Um, that it had been sung much, much earlier by, uh, I believe, a Motown artist but uh, of, of lesser fame. But yeah, it was like that was a quintessential, you know, soft sell song for me. And I just assumed they had, quote unquote, invented it. Uh, and I was wrong. And it's very easy to be wrong about these things because we where we discover them, we think that's where they started. And that's uh, a misconception of human perception. All right. Well, keep at it. Uh, sorry for the long messages. 
Hello, Ray. Thank you so much for calling in. Uh, I don't think I've listened to your show, actually, so I, uh, that's obviously one I now need to listen to. Um, I I really appreciate not only your listening uh, to the programme, to, to the, the... It's not a programme, is it? Let's face it, it's more like a, just a, a, a random diary. But uh, I do appreciate your listening to the episode um, and sending in your thoughts. But also... Um, but also well, uh, give me the benefit of the doubt, I guess, by making such a risky, a risky um, uh, sort of expression of my thoughts, <laughs> comment, um, saying that um, saying that there's nothing new under the sun has got me in trouble before. Um, obviously, it seems very myopic and arrogant, especially when I don't say it, if I don't say it and actually provide examples of of what I mean by by that um, and of course you know to some extent it is very much a um, an exaggeration and I think the the reason why I do say that and it is based on factual you know evidence uh, things like um, think things like um, advantage and, and stuff like that. Similar mechanics did exist. They weren't necessarily always used as frequently as they are today, but they did exist and they were within the the purview of um, a GM. For example, uh, no, you can re-roll that. <laughs> That's happened. Surely everybody's done that. There's been a, a thousand, thousand, ten thousand, hundred thousand GMs have done that at some point in their, in their life or given some kind of a, a re-roll where they think a character should have a, a second chance because of, for some particular reason in the story, right? Uh, uh, the one I was referring to was actually, I think, a magic item that allowed you, it gave you luck or something and allowed you to to do a re-roll, re-roll to fail roll, failed roll. Um, I really need to find out what, which item it was, but uh, there you go, I'm lazy. So, you know, without providing evidence, you do open, I do, I do particularly open myself up for, um, um, for a kind of knuckle, a knuckle wrapping. But, you know, I do appreciate your calling and, and saying how, yeah, the, the, if you look through not just the published games, but the, the, the fanzines and all the things that were being inspired by at that time, you know, the start of, um, the reenactments, the, the the forefather forefathers the antes, ancestors or the antecedents is that right of um of live action role playing all these things were already very much um happening you know uh, by 1975 76 you know within a year or so of of that first role playing game coming out and already the the community was um trying to wrest <laughs> the game away from the makers and make it something of their own and and publishing their own rules and rewriting things and su- suggesting optional rules and everything you can imagine was happening in a sudden uh, explosion of uh, creativity um, that is pretty amazing considering how small the community must have been at that time and the lack of uh, technology that they had to... Um, to re- communicate with each other, so it really was phenomenal, um, even though it's by no means like the size or um, uh, does, lacks the size and it lacks the 
techniques and, and um, equipment that are available to makers, um, game designers today. Um, but uh, yeah, you did refer to um, John Peterson and I have actually read uh, Playing at the World. This was in fact suggested reading by none other than Jason of, of Nerds RPG Variety Cast. And I read the whole thing. I I thought I was really surprised actually at how long it was, <laughs> and how, as you as you say, you know, it is it is um, very very thorough, um, a little bit dry, but wow, you know, was there was it well <laughs> researched? And I haven't read the elusive shift or the game wizards. Um, elusive shift certainly sounds like uh, a lot of uh, fun, so um, thank you. Again, another uh, great recommendation, and it's probably something that I'll follow up sooner than later. Anyway, um, Ray, thank you so much for calling in, and I look forward to um, hearing more from you soon and having a having a little uh, listen to your show. So, cheers, bye. And because an anchor podcast, you know, really isn't an anchor podcast unless it opens and closes with Jason of Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Here's the man himself. Again, what's more? Hey, Rob, Jason here. I'm behind in my podcast listening, but I just finished your AD&D play-by-post interview. Great job. Makes me want to start a fantasy play-by-post game, or actually any play-by-post game again. Um, and I, I know I'm talking about doing one with special with Che Webster, but I mean just like a regular play-by-post with normal where everybody knows rules and all that. So... I'd like to do it, just don't know when I'd, I, I don't know if I really have time to do it right now, but play-by-post, I find a lot of fun, it actually fits my schedule really well, so I'm glad you're able to find a game to play in, and um, thank you for the interview, it was re- really good, and it detailed out a lot of things that I think are important, so very interesting, I, hope, I look forward to further entries in that series. So, uh, thank you to Jason of Nerds RPG Variety Cast, also to BJ of Arcane Alienist, and finally, a first-time caller, Ray of Plundergrounds. Thank you so much for those uh, really interesting, uh, well, supportive, if nothing else, um, certainly interesting to me, comments and uh, call-ins. So, thank you. Um, in, in addition, I guess, uh, what shall I close with? It's going to be a quick one, um, but uh, I just quickly want to go over um, old school essentials the last old school essentials um, we had a new player um, one of the players has currently missed the past I don't know maybe four or five sessions uh, due to you know uh, various kind of you know personal reasons and and uh, although I'm sure they they want to to join us it's just become very difficult now that player actually plays the the only magic user in the party so we do have a, a new player joining us, uh, who joined us actually for the first time last Monday. Um, and it's a player, I won't mention the name, um, but it's a player who is also be, has also been playing in the, the GURPS and uh, second edition Advanced Dungeons and Dragons campaign that uh, Barry of, you know, the GM Shadow has been uh, running for us. And, and also plays with uh, in Tristan's my friend Tristan's game um, of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. So, so you know, we're getting all these different people, all these different groups, uh, and now suddenly are all very much entangled with each other. 
and from all over the world. So the new player is actually from um, from Belgium. So it's uh, really, really good to be able to, to make all these uh, contacts with people from all over. Uh, getting back to the actual the, the game, the session. Uh, so this new player was playing a half-elf. We are, of course, using the advanced um, advanced genre rules uh, for old-school essentials. So that means uh, the half-elf is actually a race as class or species as class, if you want to use the, the new lingo. And that gives them... In some ways, I suppose it makes them operate a little bit like a cleric, uh, you know, a BX cleric, in that they can't cast spells at first level, but from second level onwards they get spells. Now, in the case of a half elf, they function very much like a fighter, with um, the ability to use any, or an elf, in fact, the ability to use uh, any weapons or armor. They get one d six hit points, the same as an elf, rather than the one d eight of a fighter. And then uh, from second level, rather than the first level of elves, they are able to cast arcane spells, the same as a magic user. And naturally, they're able to use the magic items that are usually restricted to uh, classes other than magic users. So it makes the uh, makes it quite a useful character uh, class addition. Um, Hopefully I, I didn't uh, push that one too strongly. The character that he generated, he actually rolled very well, so it had fairly good stats. Hit points are a little bit kind of average, uh, four. Um, uh, but, you know, managed to roll fairly decently on gold, so they, he was able to start with full plate, uh, not plate, full plate, is it? It's plate mail armor and uh, shield. So, yeah, new new character. Um, what happened in this story? So, so... They were already, um, they'd come back from the Barrow Moor and had rested for about a week in the town of Helix, which is their base of operations, before returning to the Hall in the Oak, which is in my campaign. It's uh, in the blackened forest of the, um, of, of, um, you know, the environment uh, around uh, um, the Barrow Moor. So this hole in the oak is actually within a, a part of the blackened forest that is, is kind of magically transformed. It's a little bit unusual. Um, the weather is quite nice. Um, the as opposed to the regular, the rest of the forest, regardless of the time of year, the the forest itself is no longer blackened with with peat and uh, some the the feeling of uh, oppressiveness and and the spiders hanging from every tree, which is the effect that is usual in other parts of that blackened forest. Here, it's much more like a, a fairy kind of, um, a, a forest glade from a fairy tale or something. So they returned to the Hole in the Oak and traveled along the some of the, the pathways that they've already mapped out and used the teleporter within the dungeon to teleport to the far south uh, east of the dungeon uh, they had already discovered uh, that this magical um, uh, sigil on the floor acted as some kind of teleporter and by using their heads dumping some uh, chalk and that they were able to discover the exit point uh, in a previous previous session maybe you know three weeks ago or something like that um, three sessions ago so six weeks ago that would be uh, so they, yeah, they use that to do it as a shortcut, and start to explore some of the um, remaining doors that they hadn't um, hadn't previously 
And uh, eventually this led into a, a large cavernous temple that uh, seemed to be a dedicated dedicated to lizard men and they've already run into these sort of lizard men that are painted in woad and kind of uh, out of their minds a little and so they're sp- suspected that you know that's the connection there's some kind of connection with that there's some kind of uh, temple to the lizards there uh, in that uh, before the shrine which included this large kind of carving uh, of a uh, a lizard? Oh, I can't think. I was a chameleon or something like that, I think, and uh, holding something in its hand that's all, all covered in algae or algae, depending where you're from. Um, wet algae, algae. And um, there were four giant lizards in there, each one about eight feet long, but they were very passive. And the players were very careful not to uh, bother them and actually took a, a route around them, actually turned back for at first and explored some of the other ways before uh, returning to the room with these lizards. Now, on the way, they had passed by the river, underground river, and discovered some nets that had been previously used by the the gnomes, who were now no longer, um, nowhere to be seen, actually. So they they collected these nets in and um, managed to fill a basket full of uh, dead and fresh fish, and took them into the uh, lizard chamber. And I'd rolled, I'd actually rolled for uh, reactions and and stuff, and rolled fairly well. Plus, they they were being so careful uh, and using these fish um, as a distraction that I thought um, these passive, fairly passive lizards uh, were just gonna ignore them. Maybe their bellies were full. Um, and on the reaction, I'd rolled something like a ten without any modifiers, so I thought, yeah. So they started to remove this algae from, moved around the lizards, uh, remo- started removing algae from these, from this uh, this uh, chameleon deity or whatever it is, and discovered a, I think it was a cup or a bowl full of um, gems or coins. Anyway, something about a thousand gold pieces is in value, so the, they quickly uh, stashed that away and... Um, got out of that cavern, ignored the monsters. Um, in this occasion, um, because of their because of their tactics, I gave them the experience for the monsters um, because I think they were so um, legitimately um, careful in their approach. I think um, it's the kind of game that I want to run, yeah, where the, the exploration, um, the thinking is as important if not more important than combat um, let's face it combat in D&D especially in basic D&D is fairly you know uh, dry <laughs> I mean you know it's come comes down to the luck of roles you know the initiative we got the initiative you got the initiative oh I rolled a one. Oh, I rolled a 17 you know it's fun but um not if it's repeated from room to room to to another room and ad infinitum so um in this case, uh, no, they they would really get into the descriptions. They were thinking about what's available, asking if there was anything that they could use. Great stuff, you know, and that's really enjoyable to have a group like that. So, um, yep, there you go. Uh, experience points. Um, brilliant, uh, a brilliant um, 
situation where luck and good game skills and thinking came in. And um, also equipment. They had uh, spades and so on that they were able to use, various tools they were able to use to get this muck off. And, you know, they've done the work. They've done the homework. They, they're thinking about what they're trying to achieve. They're not trying to just kill everything, um, which is great because, you know, these giant lizards were pretty serious. <laughs> um, four of them could have done some serious damage, if not killed a few players. So, uh, you know, hats off to them. Then uh, finally, they decided to swing around uh, uh, west and then north to some of the remaining, the last two remaining areas. Now, they'd already seen there was some kind of bridge going north uh, across the river, connecting between two um, tunnels that were not accessible from where they saw them at, uh, on the riverside. So, they yeah, they swung around and they decided to, they, they found a fork, one one passageway going north, another going um, eastwards. I'm not sure if that's a fork, but you get the idea. Junction. And they turned eastward up and uh, started to move up to the up these stairs and found a chamber full of trees. In fact, they had found um, vines and stuff growing all around the walls on the, on the passageway leading to this area. Uh, and this was hung with, uh, with fruit. Um, kind of like uh, black tomatoes, very shiny as well. So they didn't try any of them, but they did take a bunch. So that would be interesting to see if they they pluck up the courage to try out any of those, or or they decide it's not worth the the risk of maybe poisoning themselves and uh, leave it be. But they entered this uh, very large chamber at the top of the stairs, um, full of um, tropical trees and bushes and stuff. Uh, and with a slight glow at the far end. Oh, was there a glow or not? Mm, can't think. Maybe it was just dark. Anyway, these trees are all kind of um, black. Uh, the soil that they grow from is black. Um, you're getting a theme here. Uh, and they notice there's these little creatures um, that look like cherubs with uh, shining yellow eyes hanging around the trees and chattering to each other, kind of like, chirruping uh kind of like little birds or something and very odd but they're not attacking them so they've started exploring this space and there's a huge statue in the middle big bronze kind of buddha-like statue um that is quite magnificent but probably not really worth the time of uh hacking the bits or trying to remove part bit by bit out of the dungeon but they have finally found at the other end the north end of the chamber that there is some kind of uh days or or um altar and on the altar is a i think it's like a, a silver cup or of some kind some kind of chalice and that's where we ended the session um it was a lot of fun you know it it's keeps on surprising me even when i if i go into a session and i'm really not feeling it it always surprises me how fun um old school essentials is you know the We've got all these different things they can do. If there's not enough players, they can run down to the Barrow Moors, you know, try out just one Barrow or just another Barrow um, and choose choose little bite-sized um, bits of uh, exploration uh, and adventure. And we often surprise ourselves, you know, and find that we're having a great time. Um, this time uh, we 
got through a whole load of dungeon and didn't have one combat. Um, brilliant. Uh, some great uh, ideas. Um, you know, the, the sessions I run, as I've probably said before, are very simple. Um, not really, usually not a load of really in-depth role-playing, but it sometimes comes up, you know, when there's some kind of interesting encounter, we end up doing some role-playing. Uh, and um, when that happens, yeah, that, that takes... Uh, that takes uh, front stage, and um, and yeah, you just don't know where they're going to go next. You don't know what the players are going to do, uh, where they're going to go because they've got all these different options. That keeps me really engaged as a DM because um, I don't want to run a story. I I want to see them writing their own story. Um, I'm just providing the, the some apparatus and some suggestions, some backdrops. Um, they they. Um, do the rest and they prompt me to then respond to what they're doing and so on so on right it's great so um yeah uh thumbs up so we're getting very 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 close to the end of our hold on the oak um there's probably one session left in that hopefully we'll be able to squeeze at least one session if not two uh, before the end of the year um and then I have a whole load of other stuff. Now, you know, I'm keeping Barrow Maze in the background there. Um, it's a great, great way to, um, you know, change change up things. A little bit of, uh, a little bit of um, wilderness, a little bit of kind of like mini dungeons and, and rooms and things, ch- chambers to explore. Uh, plus the possibility of a, you know, a, a mega dungeon beneath all of that. But um, I'm really enjoying the old school Essentials uh, modules like Hole in the Oak, and I've got a whole bunch of them. I've got all of them, actually, all of the official ones. Uh, and, it, and looking at them, uh, you know, I can take them up to sixth sixth level, maybe seventh level, just doing that stuff. Uh, occasionally, you know, take little dives into Barrow Maze and that just to, if they're having trouble. So, um, you know, really exciting stuff. Great um, adventures, very, very simple. Um it's very simple kind of frameworks, rich in rich in ideas, and you just it hangs together well. And once you start playing, that, that's when the muscle, the skin, and everything else just comes together around that framework, and it it just really lives. So uh, can't say can't can't really say better than that. Um, they look very very simple. But you start uh, reading through them a couple of times, and you'll see all oh, these little hooks and all these little p- p- possibilities, potential, a lot of potential in there. Uh, and you actually start playing it, and it takes on a life of its own. Uh, anyway, I've I've been uh, nattering away too long now, but you get the idea. I'm really enjoying old school essentials. It's it's uh, everything that I wanted to do with basic and expert Dungeons and Dragons back in. The, uh, the 80s, but probably was spending too much time playing other things like uh, AD&D to really enjoy. So uh, I'm getting to do that now. It's not nostalgia. Uh, it's very, very, um, it's very, very much um, a living project. It's very much unfolding. And uh, these adventures are cutting edge, I think. Um, they're new and they're cutting edge and they're simple and they're just, shh, they're really fast, you know, they they just um low low um um how can i put it they don't put a lot of load on the gms they just let 
they just give you everything you need and you can just run with them, you know, after reading it a bit. So uh, great stuff. All right. Anyway, that's me finished with that. I probably should say something about um, Glorantha. I mentioned that I was having difficulties. Um, or our group was having some difficulties meeting up. Um, we still got the group together. Um, but, you know, it's Christmas time. There's a possibility of um, schedule differences and uh, other obligations obligations family obligations you know people have young kids so it might have to be uh, put on hold that is the RuneQuest Glorantha campaign for the six seasons of Sartar in Sartar might have to go on hold for a while but um, we have created three of the four characters completely um, just waiting for names and a few finishing touches some spells perhaps but other than that we did complete character generation and I'll Probably talk about that in the next episode, which will be the what third, fourth part of my uh, RuneQuest introduction. Um, but um, yeah, great stuff. The the character generation, well, you get the idea. I could go on uh, day after day talking about the things that I enjoy, and uh, why not, right? What's the point of uh, complaining about things that you don't appreciate when you can talk about the things that you do, right? So, uh, thank you so much for um, bearing with me till the end. I hope you're all well. Um, it's getting cooler, colder, in fact, here. The trees are have really turned. Um, I'm looking out the window. I can see the mountains. Um, and the leaves are a dull kind of uh, brown and red and yellow, as well as the green of the, of the pine trees. And... Um, you know, it's the daylight's not lasting as long as it did, so it's got that kind of funky kind of feel to it. You know, the days you're like, well, ah, just stay in the warm. So, you know, that's where we're going. But I hope you're all staying warm uh, and uh, keeping your spirits up. Uh, we do have uh, another, another variety of uh, virus that's breaking out. And hopefully, if you're getting sick, the vaccinations that we've had will see you through, you know, so that you don't get it as badly as you might. Um, regardless of your situation or your beliefs, whatnot, I hope you're well, your family are well, and uh, you're coming up to the uh, the festive season, if it's if that means anything to you, the end of the year as well, uh, in, a, in a good place, a relatively good place, um, with uh, a positive uh, outlook ahead for the next year. Anyway, talk to you soon.